1: If we feel like we have to minimize the best of who we are to try to protect the worst of what someone else is doing, that's not just a red flag. That's a full-on fire that needs to be tended to.
0: You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. Today, we're talking about a subject that most of us struggle with in some way. We're talking about boundaries. You know, when we think about boundaries, we toss questions around in our mind like, is it unloving or selfish to set a boundary? Aren't we called to be long-suffering and grace-giving? So how does a boundary fit into that? And is it ever okay to actually walk away from a relationship that's no longer safe or sustainable? These are questions that I have wrestled with in my hardest relationships, and they're questions that I wrestled with during the dark season of my marriage 11 years ago. They're also the questions my guest has wrestled with in the midst of her own relational struggles. But after thousands of life-changing hours of counseling intensives and theological research that transformed the way she defined healthy relationships, she is now more committed than ever to loving people well without compromising her own well-being. My guest is Lisa Turkhurst. Lisa is president of Proverbs 31 Ministries and the author of more than 25 books, including It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, and Uninvited. Her latest book is Good Boundaries and Goodbyes, Loving Others Without Losing the Best of Who You Are. More importantly, Lisa is someone that I am glad to call my friend. I've benefited from her wisdom, and I believe you will too. Listen in. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Lisa. It's so good to have you.
1: Oh, it's so good to be here. We've been friends for a really long time. So this is kind of like a friendship catch-up plus (laughs) podcast interview.
0: (laughs) I know. I was actually thinking about that as I was kind of getting ready for our our conversation. I was like, "I I, I think that we really first connected personally when we adopted around the same time if I remember right I think that we were both we had I think we adopted within a year of each other and we adopted older kids and so I mean I think we connected through proverbs and hearts at home and all of that but we we connected personally after we both adopted and that uh was the first time and then golly we would connect as nonprofit leaders and we breast cancer. uh, We've kind of led some parallel lives, Lisa.
1: I agree. (laughs) I agree. I'm still so grateful for the, the, stuff that you sent me when I had breast cancer because I didn't know what I was going to need but you did and you were so gracious and it helped so much
0: yeah and we we got to take care of each other you know we really do and I remember that when I sent you a text and I said I have this uh, it might be helpful for your surgery would you you know don't even feel like you have to answer because I knew probably your texts were filled with With craziness. And I said, Would you like me to stick that in the mail to you? And all I got from you was, Yes. (laughs) And it was like, Perfect. All right. We will, I will stick that in the mail to you. So, you know, in the same way that we've walked through adoption and breast cancer and leading a nonprofit, we've also walked through tragedy. In our marriages. And that has, um, that is something I wish neither one of us had walked through. But ultimately, it is what prompted you to write this book um, was that journey, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. And really, it's not just the experience that I went through the hurt, the heartbreak, and all of that, but the resulting counseling that I need when I that I needed when I got to that place where I had to recognize I have some stuff I need to work on. Yeah, And that was a hard place after going through the kind of heartbreak that I went through. And then, of course, the death of my marriage, um, which is what I call a divorce. I call it a death of a marriage because it it felt like that deep of a loss to me. Um, it took me a long time for me to go, okay, now that I've worked on how much I was hurt, now I want to become a better human. And so how Mm -hmm. do I do that? Let's focus on what I need to work on now. And um, boundaries became very apparent that I really was not good at boundaries. Um, My counselor even said that, you know, he was very tempered in the way he said it but he said Lisa I think um you've got some codependency enabling tendencies you know mm-hmm. and I was like, well I'm a very independent person mm-hmm. he said yes and you have a belly button and anyone who has a belly button is codependent so let's start there this doesn't make <laughs> you weird it just means and here was the great definition he gave me he said Lisa, do you ever find yourself thinking? to about another person. Are you okay? Because I need you to be okay. So I can be okay. And and then if I'm okay, then I feel like maybe you're really okay. So I need you to really, really be okay. Okay. <laughs> and He said, do you ever have those thoughts? And I was like, Oh, my goodness, you have been reading my mail. And I didn't know that that was sort of uh, a starting place for, Me working on codependency, but then also me working on the separation between me and another person that we're not enmeshed as the same person and that it's okay for me to have needs. It's okay for me to express, this is what I will accept. This is what I will not accept. And again, I'm not a weak person. I'm a strong person. I'm an independent person, but I had some relational tendencies that were not serving me or the relationships well. And so boundaries became a really important process of me being able to move forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I so appreciate, let's talk for just a moment about the value of counseling because, you know... I, uh, because of the hard things that I have walked through, um, I have found that counseling was absolutely an important part of my journey, an important part. I love how you say of becoming a better human, and um, it was also my counselor when my marriage went through a crisis and when Mark separated. That uh, my it was my counselor that taught me about boundaries, and that. I think that oftentimes we think that seeking counseling is weak, but I have found that it is strong. It is a a strength to be able to ask someone to speak into your life.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. And it's become so important to me that I have started my own podcast called Therapy and Theology. And part of the reason that I did that was because I wanted people to see those two worlds don't have to be so separate. It's not a sign that you're weak spiritually if you go get someone who's trained to help you heal emotionally. Those two words actually go hand in hand. And um, I had the benefit of working with some really smart theologians who I could ask personal questions and dig into the scripture about, you know, what does the Bible say about these different heartbreaks that I've been through? And what does God actually say about boundaries? You know, uh, for so long, I was struggling like, is God okay with boundaries? Are boundaries unkind? Are they unchristian? And so it was important for me to dig into the theology of all of that, but also the therapy, because it's not just enough to have head knowledge. You've got to know how to apply it. And my yes. counselor's so good, he never tells me what to do, but he educates me so that I can make informed decisions. And even better, he listens to me and he helps me see, Lisa, you're not crazy. You're not um falling apart you're you're moving through the stages of grief you're moving through the stages of healing and it was so important to have somebody there that could see what i couldn't see and make me understand that this was all a normal part of the process of grieving and healing
0: yes yes So one of the things when I was reading your book, um, I love, and you you just kind of referred to it here. I love that you said that boundaries aren't just a good idea, they're a God idea. And you went back to the garden with Adam and Eve. And I had never thought about... What we know about Adam and Eve and the Adam and Eve story of being a story of boundaries. Share a little bit about that.
1: Yes. Well, we can even back up to Genesis 1 how God created the foundations of the entire world was using boundaries. You know, He separated the light from the darkness, He separated the sea from the land. And then we even in, um, in later chapters of the Old Testament, um, I know there's a couple in Job where God literally said to the sea, you can come this farther and no more, because mm. this is then where the dry land starts. So I, I started to become very fascinated that God used boundaries in the creation of the world. But then the first recorded conversation that God has with Adam, think about all the topics God could have chosen, and he chose the topic of a boundary. And I just thought that was very fascinating, but we can also learn a lot by how God had that first boundary conversation. And he did it in the context of freedom for the purpose, not just of restriction, but for the purpose of protection. And so freedom, when we have freedom, if we have good, healthy boundaries, then we know where the freedom exists. Mm-hmm. Then we can run freely within the boundaries that have been set. And I just loved that. And then I also loved that it appears that God put a restriction on Adam. And then, of course, it eventually applied to Eve as well. But it was for the sake of protection. He was, God was trying to protect Adam from carrying the weight, the heavy, heavy weight of the knowledge of evil. And, you know, that's a weight that after Adam and Eve sinned, that we now carry today. If you've ever turned on the news and you've seen, you know, the devastation of the hurricane, another school shooting, you know, all of these things and our heart sinks and we say it's not supposed to be this way, you're right. That's the knowledge of evil. That's what God was trying to protect us from. And So it wasn't just a restriction he put on Adam because he's a killjoy God. No, it was to protect Adam from what Adam couldn't possibly know. And Mm. um, and and God never wanted the human heart to have to carry that weight of the knowledge of evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Such an important perspective for us to understand. So, one of the things you talk about is uh, you compare healthy relationships to bank accounts. So yes. <laughs> I love that. I could see it. It was really an analogy that I understood. So, how does that um how does that comparison help us understand the value of emotional well-being? Talk about that.
1: Well, here's what I like to say. You know, when people say to me that they struggle with boundaries or I'm just not that great at boundaries, then I like to bring in this example of you're actually already doing this really, really well. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people label themselves, I'm not good at boundaries, and then they kind of negate trying any other healthy perspective of boundaries. So I like to say, you're already doing this really well. So I'm going to do this with you, Jill. Jill, you are already doing boundaries really well. And here's how I know. Do you have a bank account?
0: Yes.
1: Okay. Do you have unlimited funds in your bank account? No. (laughs) And is that because you're a bad human that you are unlimited? No. No it's because you're human, right? Mm -hmm. Only God has a limitless supply. So Mm -hmm. of course you have a limited supply. Correct. So knowing that, that you have a limited supply of funds in your bank account, um, is that why you have a passcode set up on your bank account?
0: That would be correct.
1: Okay. So you have a security passcode. Um, Is that a sign that you're unkind and not very generous and not a good Christian?
0: hmm. No, it isn't. See?
1: No, it's not at all a sign that you're unkind, that you're not a very good Christian or that you're not generous. It means that you understand that today, if, if I were to say, Jill, hand out that passcode to all of your listeners right now, give everyone free access to your bank account. You would tell me no, that you would not do that, not because you're selfish, but because you recognize that you are responsible for certain bills to take care of your family. And it would be irresponsible to allow anybody and everybody access to your bank account without knowing that they would be responsible and respect the limitations that you have with your bank account, right?
0: Right. That is correct. And
1: so we we know this with our bank accounts. we we know this with our finances. We forget it when it comes to our relational capacity, our emotional capacity, our um even our spiritual capacity, our intellectual capacity, you know our physical capacity. We forget that we are not unlimited. We yeah. have limited capacities and it's not because we're selfish. it's because we're human. Only God has a limitless supply. Yeah.
0: So, you know, Lisa, it's so funny because um, probably 10 years ago, you and I had a phone conversation. Uh, We were talking leader to leader. And you were actually teaching me about um, capacity as a leader and boundaries and speaking engagements. We were talking about that. And so you were learning this from a business perspective back then and then you were passing that along to me as a fellow leader what what was the difference between the business environment where you were starting to value boundaries and rock boundaries but that personal environment that that feels different
1: you know i think it's because in a business sense I could more easily have the conversations because I had less emotion involved. Mm -hmm. But when there's more emotion involved, then I tend, and I'm not putting this on everyone else, but I tend to operate more in a people-pleasing capacity because I want my relationships to be at peace and I want to keep that other person happy. But the Lord started to really challenge me that my people pleasing tendencies in relationships where there's emotion involved, more emotion, you know, involved, Mm -hmm. that I wasn't people pleasing just to keep the other person happy. I was people pleasing to keep the other person happy so that they wouldn't take from me whatever it is that I thought I was getting from them that I had to have in order to be okay in this world. Mm. And so I was resistant to healthy boundaries because I was afraid that if I drew a healthy boundary, that that other person might reject me or walk away or take from me, whatever it was that I was getting from them that I felt like I must have. Mm -hmm. And the reality is over time I discovered If you're afraid that by drawing a healthy boundary that another person might reject you or walk away from you, they're probably eventually going to reject you or walk away from you, whether or not you have that boundary conversation. Mm -hmm. So boundaries aren't a way to shut down a relationship. Boundaries are actually the only fighting chance that a relationship like that has to go the distance. And the deepest challenge that I feel like the Lord gave me, is Lisa? You know, you will always desperately want from another person what you fear you will never get from God. Mm-hmm. And so, if I was so afraid that that other person gave me a feeling of acceptance, maybe it is not bad to want acceptance from another people. It's not bad mm-hmm. to crave that sense of belonging. But if I if I place that desire on another person so much so that if that person went away that i would feel like i can't be okay in the world without their acceptance or their approval or their you know them giving me a sense of belonging then i have in essence made them an idol i was getting yes. an ultimate source from them when they can never be an ultimate resource for me
0: yes Yes. You know, I remember when my marriage went through its dark season, a dear friend of mine um, said to me in wisdom one day, Jill, do not make saving your marriage an idol. Mm. And man, I needed those words because I was, and I needed to get the priorities straight. And um you're right. We can we can make other people idols. And it doesn't always fall into the marriage category. It can be parenting. We can you know, trying to feel good about ourselves based upon what our kids do. Um, that can fall into the, the same category.
1: Absolutely. And we can do it in a job scenario. You know, like I see a lot of people pleasing happening because we know that this other person has the ability to give us a promotion. Therefore, we sometimes excuse bad behavior or unhealthy patterns, even in that business relationship, because we fear if we actually state what we need. In, in order to continue to feel safe, or if we state what is and is not acceptable in that relationship, that we, that that other person could take from us the ability to give us a promotion or give us a raise or, or get some accolade within the organization. Yeah. But that's such a sign of, you know, of, of a, like a big red flag. If mm-hmm. we feel like we have to minimize the best of who we are to try to protect the worst of what someone else is doing, that's not just a red flag. That's a full-on fire
0: that needs to be tended to. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you talk about is um, emotional access, giving people or limiting emotional access, and that that's part of what a boundary is. Talk about emotional access and why responsibility is so important um, with that.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when I say the word boundaries, people bring all kinds of of meanings to that word Mm -hmm. and all kinds of emotion to that word because maybe they've tried boundaries before by putting a boundary on another person. And they've discovered that it didn't work because the other person didn't change. You know, the mm-hmm. other person didn't do what you were hoping that they would do by putting this boundary on them. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, because that's the wrong approach to a boundary is to put a boundary on another person. So hold that thought. Okay. But um The other side of the pendulum, why people have a weird feeling about boundaries is because maybe people have weaponized boundaries against them. Mm. Like maybe somebody else has put a boundary on me and they did it to control me, manipulate me or punish me. And we cannot have the motivation of a boundary be control, manipulation and punishment. The motivation of a boundary has to actually be love and seeking the highest good for each person in the relationship and choosing to fight for the relationship to to move in a healthier direction. So I always encourage people to take the word boundary and set it aside. Let's just look at these three words, access, responsibility, and consequence. So to the level that we give someone access to us, let's say we're giving them level 10 access to us, they should be bringing level 10 responsibility to match the level of access that we're giving them Mm -hmm. where chaos and turmoil and dysfunction and the need for a boundary comes in when we continue to give someone level 10 access, but they are only willing or capable of level three responsibility. Mm. And the distance between those two is the tug, push and pull and the need for a boundary because where there's chaos, there's the need for a boundary. So we can have a conversation with that other person and we can ask them or inform them, this is the level of responsibility that you need to demonstrate in order to continue to have this kind of access. But if that conversation doesn't go well and that other person isn't internally motivated to bring the level of responsibility they need to bring, where most of us make a mistake is then we put a boundary on this other person to try to force them to lift up their, their level of responsibility. And it just doesn't work if they don't have the internal motivation themselves. So the only choice we have at that point is to put a boundary on ourselves in that dynamic and reduce the level of access that we grant them based on the level of responsibility that they're willing or capable of so that there becomes relational equilibrium again. You know, when, when you in your marriage, you know, you give... Great physical access to your husband, but it's because he's demonstrated the highest level of responsibility now for that access. Mm -hmm. But if he started being absolutely irresponsible with that kind of access and doing things that emotionally or physically or sexually hurt you, then you would need to reduce the level of physical access, not because you're a bad wife and not because you're a bad person, not because you're unkind and unchristian. But because you're wise and Mm. you recognize that you are limited, not because you're selfish, but because you're human. And so only God has a limitless supply. When you think of it, even in terms of a capacity issue, you know, I wish I could say yes to every person, but if I attempt to say yes to every person, I'm attempting to be a savior, not a human. And I'm not the savior. I'm a human. Mm -hmm. And there is a savior, but his name is Jesus, not Lisa.
0: hmm yeah. Yeah, so where do most of us go wrong when we try to set boundaries in relationships in the past?
1: Well, we put a boundary on another person hoping that it will create sustainable change um, is one area. So let me give you this picture. If today you had a cardiac event and i was with you i could sustain your life by doing cpr for a short period of time yeah but at some point if your heart does not quicken and decide to beat it beat on its own i can't do chest compressions forever using external mm-hmm. force will not sustain your life forever right mm-hmm. never have you seen two friends walking around the mall one doing chest compressions on the other person and thought there's a sustainable relationship right Mm -hmm. Because you cannot sustain a relationship with one person putting external force on the other person to try to create the changes that are necessary to make that relationship healthy. And so we have to recognize that if we try to put a boundary on the other person and they're not willing internally to make that change then the change is not going to be sustainable. They could potentially have better behavior for a short period of time, but there's a big difference between temporary behavior modification and lasting change. Yeah. So we can't put the boundary on the other person using external force to try to make them change. They have to want to change on their own. And we have to pay attention to that. Another mistake that I think that we make is we think that, We are not going to be okay if this relationship is not okay.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We, you know, we think that that the weight of of peace and the weight of relational help depends on us. But we do have to at some point acknowledge that help bonds with help. Help attracts help. Yes. And unhealthy bonds with unhealthy. So if you are choosing to get healthier and the other person is staying in unhealthy patterns, at some point there's going to be a fallout in that relationship because health cannot bond with unhealth. And either that other person needs to get healthy or you are going to have to get unhealthy, as unhealthy as them, in order to create that relational equilibrium. And And for me, Jill, Understanding those two things that, you know, it's my responsibility to stay healthy and it's my responsibility to demonstrate self-control so that the worst version of myself doesn't suddenly start marching front and center. You know, God called me through the power of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate self-control. So I cannot control another person, but I am responsible to control myself. And I want the best of who I am to stay front and center. And if that relationship and the unequal help and unhelp is is tearing me apart, then I have to pay attention to that.
0: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: love should be what draws us together, not what tears us apart. So I cannot put a boundary on another person trying to make them change. And at some point, I have to recognize that it's absolutely crucial for me to be responsible with who i am and make sure that the best of who i am stays front and center not just for the sake of this relationship but for the sake of me being obedient to god and every other person that interacts with me i want them to interact with the best version of myself that's why the subtitle of the book is you know it's good boundaries and goodbyes but then the subtitle is loving others without losing the best of who you are
0: mm-hmm. yeah 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 And one of the things that you say in the book, I underlined this, the tension exists when you are doing the difficult work of no longer cooperating with dysfunction. Mm. So, So I loved that because it's like, That's where you were talking about the level 10, the level, you know, three. So the level 10 access, but level three responsibility. And there's the tension between, but you're getting to a place of going, I can't cooperate with the dysfunction because that doesn't allow you to be the best of who you are.
1: Right. And it also starts to make you feel like you're a victim of other people's bad behavior and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. And that is such a powerless feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell people, if you have a relationship in your life where you start to say things like, I just can't take it anymore. um, This just isn't working for me anymore. You know, and it could even be in a friendship where You've allowed a friend to do something or to treat you in a way that you start to feel so bitter and so angry, wishing that other person would stop doing that, that you're tempted just to ghost that person or to avoid them because it's so painful to interact with them. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that more relationships die not because we attempted to have the difficult conversations to address what needs to be addressed, but because we refuse to have the conversations that we could were afraid as mm-hmm. a fighting chance for that relationship to get healthy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, really what a boundary is, is, you being able to clearly state, and you can say it kindly. And my my counselor always says, say what you mean, mean what you say, and don't say it mean. <laughs> so I really like that.
0: <laughs> but
1: it gives you the chance to state what is and is not acceptable,
0: mm-hmm. what
1: you can give and what you cannot give. And when you recognize how important it is to establish those parameters, those boundaries in a relationship, you then can feel the freedom that you're taking the power back in that dynamic so that you don't feel so powerless in a situation where the other person refuses to change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we were in uh, our dark season of marriage, and I remember it was... um Shortly after I had found out about the infidelity, um, and then my, and I was in my counselor's office and I was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And he made, um, I remember he said to me, if he is willing to get help, you can stay engaged, but if he is unwilling to get help, you will need to draw a boundary. Mm -hmm. And that, um, that was very clear and it helped me to understand kind of what my next steps uh, needed to be. Um, Lisa, let's talk for a moment about the the messy in between. When there is some long suffering, when there is some recognizing that the other person has some things that they need to work out, right? They have pain in their life. Um, I think one of the things I read in the book and then I've heard Jim say, Jim Cress, your, um, your counselor, because I follow him on Instagram, love his Instagram, um, is that what people don't work out, they act out. Yes. So really, oftentimes when we're setting boundaries, we're also inviting another person to grow. We're inviting them to dig into their stuff and and get to the heart of that. What does that look like while we're waiting for someone to do that?
1: Well, I think we have to remember there's a big difference between a mistake and a pattern. So a mistake is something we all make. And if someone makes a mistake and they are willing to do the work to seek forgiveness and to seek healthy restoration and to work on whatever drove them to that behavior in the first place, mm-hmm. then that is understandable. We want to give grace and allow God's space to move in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is a beautiful possibility for redemption. Mm-hmm. But if this is not a mistake if this becomes a pattern of ongoing behavior where the person is living in denial that they don't have a problem the only person they're hurting is themselves you know you need to be more understanding you're overreacting and you know those kinds of non-repentant attitudes they're yes. they're not sorry for what they did, they feel kind of justified for what they did. And they certainly are not willing to get the help that they need so that you can have the assurance that they are working out what they need to work out. You know, when the pattern is there, that becomes a lot more complicated. Because it's kind of like today, if someone you loved very much had a pattern of behavior, that was destroying their life, it's like they crawl up on train tracks and you see the locomotive coming, Mm -hmm. but they're just living in denial that the locomotive is barreling down. Out of love, your natural instinct, of course, is to run up and pull them off the train tracks. Of course, you would want to do that. Mm -hmm. But if they keep crawling back on the train tracks and you keep going up to pull them off, Then at some point, that locomotive barreling ever closer, it may run over you both. And nobody wins when that kind of situation is playing out. And that person has to decide to get off those train tracks, acknowledge the locomotive, get off the train tracks, and do the hard work of not climbing back on the train tracks. And you have to make the decision eventually to turn them over to the only savior that exists. You can be their wife, you can be their friend, you can be their daughter, you can be their mother, but you cannot be their savior. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can even go so far as to try to rescue this person over and over and over that we soften the consequences so much that that person actually never feels the need for a savior because keep softening the consequences that may be the very thing that could drive them to the Savior that they desperately need or to the help that they desperately need.
0: So then our lack of boundaries actually can get in the way of what God is trying to do in someone else's life.
1: Yes. Boundaries aren't to shove another person away. Boundaries are to hold yourself together so that that relationship can have at least some kind of fighting chance to get healthy because isn't that what we want? Yeah. We want relationships, but we want healthy relationships and a mm-hmm. healthy relationship is one where we feel safe, where we feel like we're each seeking each other's highest good, where there's trust. I'm convinced trust is the oxygen of all relationships. You deplete a relationship of trust and you deplete it of its life source. hmm and out of that trust and security and knowing that each of you are seeking each other's highest good that's where love can flourish and that's what god called us to do yeah god didn't call us to a cheap version of enabling like we cannot we cannot try to fulfill the command to love with the unhealthy patterns of enabling they're not the same so God says love is is this beautiful connection, the most the most beautiful connection between two humans. Um, but we've got to be careful to look at God's definition of love and seek that. Seek that.
0: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Such wisdom. Okay. I want to talk for a moment. Let's say we have a friendship that's going to end, but it's been a long time. Friendship or a marriage that is um, ending. You talk in your book about the need to have a million little funerals. And that was so powerful um, that anytime we deal with grief, I think we think of grief as one big thing. But when we Need to let go of something when we need to uh, experience some closure. What do you mean by a million little funerals?
1: Well, you know, when you're talking about something as significant as a goodbye, um, I always encourage people to take steps, not leaps. Mm. And so, one of the steps you can take is asking yourself the question, Have I have I liked this person or been in love this person for the potential of who I always wanted them to be? Or have I acknowledged who they really are? Like, do I like Mm -hmm. who they really are? Do I, am I in love with not their potential, but, but who they actually are. And one of those small steps is to acknowledge, I need to have a funeral for who this person who i want this person to be so that i'm freed up to see who they actually are. And in some of my relationships, Joe, when i did this, when i let go of those unrealistic expectations which were really simmering resentments in disguise. Yes. I freed myself up to finally acknowledge what was and to bring that awareness into the relationship so I could get to know that person for who they actually are. And I would have missed out on that if I would have taken the leap just to say goodbye, because I had a vision for who I wanted them to be. But it gave me a blindness to who they actually were. And in some situations, when I had that funeral of my version of what they should be. It freed me up to actually learn to like the person for who they were. And a goodbye was not necessary. Yes. So, you know, good boundaries and goodbyes. It's, it's not about leaving people. It's about loving others well, without losing yourself in the process, losing the best of who you are in the process. Mm -hmm. So of course, then other times a million Mm -hmm. little funerals would be if that relationship becomes unsafe or unsustainable, then you will have to grieve the dreams that you had for that relationship.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. You know,
1: like in a friendship, you probably dreamed of, raising your kids together and attending their kid's wedding and you attending, you know, and them attending your kid's wedding and, you know, the vacations you were going to take and the the holidays you were going to celebrate together and all the fun things that you dreamed of doing with yeah. that special friendship. And so there's a lot of grief. And sometimes we have to break grief down into bite-sized pieces so that we, we have a little funeral for the fact that this friendship is ending and chances are we will not take that vacation together.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: friendship is ending and we you know you'll grieve that you know you're not going to go on a double date with them next Friday night, you know? Because yeah. the reason the friendship was there's because there was parts of the friendship you really liked. Mm-hmm. And those parts that you really really liked. Are going to create a loss and inside that loss, grief is going to move in. And the tough things, the tough thing about this kind of grief is that there's not a, a marked public funeral and nobody's bringing you a casserole. Yep. So I've just discovered I need to have many funerals so that the sadness doesn't overtake me. And I walk people through in that portion of the book, my thought process. I mean, I can have a mini funeral in my car you know, Mm -hmm. driving to my next appointment, Yes, I can have a mini funeral when I take a walk in the afternoon. It's not this big, complicated thing. It's acknowledging what was and what will no longer be and walking myself through the process, acknowledging the grief, accepting it and determining to heal from it. And also still being able to treasure what was, Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to erase all the beautiful memories that we did have. We can acknowledge what was, acknowledge what is, and walk in a future that um, may not involve that person.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. Oh, Lisa, this has been Rich. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, the name of Lisa's book is Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. We'll make sure that we put a link to that in the show notes, uh, as well as a link to Lisa's podcast, Therapy and Theology. And um, Lisa, where do people find you online other than that?
1: Well, you can go to com or proverbs31.org. And certainly you can always find me on Instagram at Lisa Turkhurst. So, and my name is spelled kind of weird. So if you just type in at L-Y-S-A-T, hopefully I'll pop up and I'd love to see you there.
0: (laughs) Yep. Lisa, would you be willing to pray for our listeners as we bring this to a close?
1: Absolutely. God, thank you for these few minutes together that we've been able to focus on, the very best that you have for us in our relationships. And Mm -hmm. God, we just acknowledge that God, you are good. You are good to us and you are good at being God. Help us to recognize that we can fulfill important roles in people's life. We can be a mom. We can be a wife. We can be a friend. We can be a sister. We can be a daughter, but we cannot be a savior. Lord, help us to recognize that today, that we have a savior and that so much of this we need to bring to you and turn over to Jesus. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free eBooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.